So how many, how many dads are here today? Just raise your hands. Well, we want to say uh, happy Father's Day. Um, it's great to have all of you here today. I know it's wonderful being a dad. I've been a dad for, uh, let's see, 48 years. Um, but it's also tough being a dad. Uh, there's a dad who had to pinch hit for mom when Junior needed to go to the pediatrician. Uh, Johnny was eight years old, and dad was, uh, well, not completely in the loop of his son. A routine checkup became very interesting. The nurse met with them to get some uh, medical history, and she looked at her at the dad and said, uh, how is he sleeping? Dad, not really knowing, looked at his son, and his son said, I sleep very well. Well, how is his appetite? Again, the dad looks at the son, and the son says, I eat everything. On any medication, the nurse asks. Nope. Mom says, I'm as healthy as a horse. The next question stumped the dad. How are his bowels? Dad looks terrified. He looks at his son impatiently, and his son said, Dad, they're fine. A-E-I-O-U, and sometimes Y and W. I mean, it's tough being a dad, let's, let's be honest. Or how about the little boy that got in trouble with mom, ran up to his bedroom, crawled under the bed. When dad got home from work, he heard what happened. He went up to try and mediate, crawled under the bed with his son, Looked at his son, his son looked at his dad, and, he said, and the son said to his dad, is she after you too? Um, so, you know, it's not easy always, you know, being a dad. You've heard the phrase, insanity is an inherited disease. You get it from your kids. But besides insanity, there's other things we get from our kids, including love, right, meaning, purpose, joy, and opportunities. Let me rephrase that, many opportunities to give sacrificially, forgive often, and love unconditionally. Being a father as a parent, a grandparent, is a challenging and wonderful responsibility. Now, I know many of you are not parents, uh, but you've all had parents, and you know what that's about. And, and these principles I would like to share this morning are really transferable to kind of any relationship. So I'd like to speak today about a father's heart. And within this teaching, there are two truths. One is our hearts towards our children and our grandchildren. And the other truth is, and you need to hear this clearly, our Heavenly Father's heart towards us. Listen to these beautiful words tucked away in the last chapter, actually the last verse in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. Now here, Malachi is prophesying what's going to happen at the end of times, the day of judgment. And he said the prophet Elijah is going to come back and preach, but this is what he says. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Won't that be a glorious day, right? I mean, there are so many people today that have this tense, uncomfortable relationship with a child, with a parent, with a grandparent. And the context of this verse is that there will be a day when we will have our hearts connected once again. Now is the time to turn your hearts to the Father. We live in an age where so many fathers, by reason of divorce, 
distance, or disinterest do not have a heart connection with their children. And for those of you that have experienced this in your life, and there are many people in the world like this, but for those of you that experience that, I just want to say, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry for what you've had to go through. I'm sorry for growing up as a child and not really feeling the love of a father. Uh, this morning, I want to paint for you a portrait of a father's heart. And within that context, really understand this, that your heavenly father loves you more than you will ever know. So let's look at this uh, first thing. A father's heart prays for his children. Now, in the Old Testament book of Judges, there was a man named Manoah. And his wife was unable to bear children, and so an angel appeared to Manoah's wife, and this is what the angel said in Judges 13.3. Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, Manoah's wife is very excited about this, right? It's kind of like uh, Abram and Sarai, right, at one time. So she's excited. You know, I'm going to have a baby. This is awesome. So she ran and told Manoah, of course, and then he had a prayer. And... Um, he was excited, but he's also very fearful. Man, I thought I wasn't ever going to be a dad. Now I'm an old man, and what am I, what am I going to do, right? And so this is what uh, he prayed. Lord, please let the man of God, referring to the angel, please let the man of God come back to us and give us more instructions. We don't have a clue what we're going to do with this child, right, about this son who is to be born. And then uh, just like us, we would pray, uh, when her son was born, uh, Manoah's wife, she named him Samson. And the Lord blessed him as he grew up. Manoah and his wife knew that the only chance that they had to raise a child decently was to pray. I know you feel the same way. Um, Sherry and I have had been blessed with four children. Unfortunately, only two of them, two of them are in heaven. Uh, our firstborn, uh, Arthur Thomas was born with a defect and died af shortly after birth. And, but I remember, uh, st we started praying when Sherry got pregnant in 1972. We started praying for our children. And the, I don't think there's been a day that we haven't prayed for our children and our grandchildren. And the prayer basically is the same every time. Lord, we pray that our child will grow up to know you, to love you, and to serve you. And one of the blessings of our lives, I mean, we certainly have had strained relationships with kids and grandkids and all of that, but one of the great blessings of our lives is every one of our children and grandchildren and our, uh, the spouses of our children uh, love Jesus. And we've been praying for them. In fact, there's certain, Sherry um, <laughs> is a prayer warrior, and she has triggers for people that she loves she might have triggers for some of you. If you ever want her to have a good trigger, uh, make it an Amazon truck, right? Because you see them constantly. So every time she sees a Coca-Cola truck, our son used to drive for Coca-Cola, or a Budweiser truck, he used to drive for Budweiser, she prays for our son. How often when she's out driving around do you think she prays for our son, right? How often do you see a Coke truck or a Budweiser truck, right? So there's these things that really trigger in us to pray for our kids and our grandkids. When I was a, an older teenager. I was a freshman in college, 18 years old. I went out of the state. Now, in those days, now this is going to sound foreign to some of you young people, but uh, I grew up in a family and in a church where intimacy, sexual intimacy, was considered to be something that you did when you got married, 
You know, what a concept, right? We don't see that much anymore today. But that was kind of the way I was, and that's who I was as an 18-year-old. Well, I went out on a date with, let me see, how can I characterize this? With an enthusiastic girl. And it was above my pay grade. I mean, I, well, t- time out. You know, boy, slow down here. This is not for me. And I managed to escape the date un- unscathed. But uh, I went home, and here was my mom. It was late. It was like after midnight. My mom was up, and she said, Son, about two hours ago, I had this powerful need to pray for you. And she did. She didn't know what I was going through, but I did. And I knew that my mom's prayer really mattered. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person, a righteous mom or dad, avails much. Now, right now, at this very moment, some of you, parents, are feeling a lot of pain, even around these words that I'm speaking, right? Because your children are estranged from you, or even worse, estranged from God. Let me just remind you that God is not finished with your kids. And he's not finished with you. And God's promises, if that child made a commitment to Jesus when they were young, hold on to that truth. Hold on to that. God is not finished with us. But even though some of us are in pain, you need to remember this one thing. This, this, is, this is great. Not only are we to pray for our children and our grandchildren, listen to this very carefully. Jesus and your heavenly Father are praying for you. Did you know that? They are praying for you. Uh, listen to these words in John 17. You, you know John 17, that amazing prayer that Jesus prayed. And the subject of the prayer that Jesus prayed was you, Will, right? And you, Brandon, and you, Sherry. The subject of his prayer was each and every one of you. Listen to these words. My prayer is not for the world. Now, he's praying to his heavenly father, right? Jesus is praying to his father. My prayer is not for the world, but for those who have, have, you have given me. Father, you have given me these people. You have given me these people at Hope Covenant Church. You have given me these disciples 2,000 years ago. You have given these people to me, and they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus and your heavenly Father are praying for you so that you might bring him glory. What a beautiful thing that is. So a father's heart prays, but secondly, a father's heart instructs his children. I'd like you to listen to this passage from Proverbs 1 to 4, excuse me, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, but it's in the message. Okay, listen to this. Listen, friends, to some fatherly advice. Sit up and take notice so you know how to live. I'm giving you good counsel. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. How many times have you said that to your kids, right? <laughs> when I was a boy at my father's knee, the pride and joy of my mother, he would, he would sit me down and drill me. Take this to heart. Do what I tell you. Live. Isn't that beautiful? That's such a beautiful thing. So we are called to instruct our children. Yes, that means checking their phones sometime. We are called to instruct our children. Now, the Hebrew word for instruct means three things. It means teaching them. It means discipling them. And a part of the being discipled is discipline, right? 
and it means modeling for them. Now, in a study recently by uh, Dr. Bron Finbrenner, uh, reported in Scientific American, the average middle-class father has direct inter interaction with his children 2.7 times per day, lasting 10 to 15 seconds each. He concludes, that seems to be, represent the contribution of fatherhood for millions of America's children, 27 to 40 seconds a day. Well, that's not acceptable. We know that, right? Let me spell out to you how to best instruct your children. Four letters. T-I-M-E. Time. Well, Pastor Dwayne, uh, I, I don't have a lot of time, so the time I do have with my kids, I just try to make it quality time. Well, talking about quality time instead of real time, uh, there's a Greek word for that, and the Greek word is baloney, right? Actually, <laughs> that's not a Greek word, but baloney, right? No, teach them. It takes time. Teach them how to play ball. Teach them music. Teach them spelling. Teach them how to brush their teeth. Teach them how to respect girls. All of these things teach your children. But also, disciple them. Disciple them. Uh, teach them how to follow. Sherry's reading a book entitled, uh, what? Gentle and Lowly. Some of you women, how many of you women are reading that book? Okay. Gentle and Lowly. So, in the mornings, uh, Sherry gets up very early, and she's out reading her Bible, reading her 27 books, and, and uh, so she's out. And so I come out, when I get up, I get ready to go to the gym, and I come out, and I sit down, and we, we talk. And she tells me what she's learning, what she's hearing. And yesterday, or the day before, she talked about this, uh, the, the teacher is uh, Dane Ortland, the author of the book, how that um, the most important thing we can do is point our children to a loving Jesus, to a loving and passionate Jesus. Now, we like sometimes to point them out to the Jesus that threw the money changers out of the temple, right? Our kids don't want to hear that, right? But teach them about this loving, the loving heart of Jesus. Push your kids, move your kids towards that. We're to teach them, we're to disciple them, and we're to model for them. Watch me and do as I do. Uh, you've, how many of you have heard of the law of echoes? It's kind of a thing lately. Okay, law of echoes. The idea is um, we receive positive or negative energy, and um, depending on what we put out or emit, we get that back. Okay, that's the, the law of echoes. Well, there is a beautiful law of echoes in Scripture. And in fact, it was interesting, uh, when Doug showed that little clip uh, if you weren't here on time, you didn't see it. A little clip for Father's Day. And, but listen, listen to these words. And, and think about this concept, the law of echoes. Listen, I've, uh, by the way, I added this so it's not up on the screen. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. Love God and love people, right? wholeheartedly to these commands um, that I am giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this, the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, that was called the sacred Shema. And that was put 
a little piece of papyrus scribbled on, put in a little leather box, and Orthodox Jews would place that little leather box around their head or around their wrist. It's called a phylactery. And it was there to remind them constantly of what that teaching was. And what this passage says, the law of echoes, is make sure you teach your kids this. Don't just carry it on your head. Don't just carry it on your wrist. Teach them. When you're awake, when they're asleep, when they're up, when they're around, teach them, teach them, teach them. Model what you desire for them to see in you. See, the basic truth of parenting, that character is caught more than taught. It's lived more than lectured and is certainly seen more than spoken, both negative and positive, the law of echoes. Uh, my dad was uh, pretty firm in his discipline with me. That was kind of the World War II, old school kind of way of doing it. But I knew he loved me. And there were certain things that he taught me, that he modeled for me. And one of the main things that he modeled for me was how to respect women how to treat women. I was never allowed to speak back to my mom or to speak unkindly to my three sisters. I thought many unkind things to them, and I said many unkind things when my father wasn't listening. But I was taught to uh, respect and love and cherish women. Um, that's the way I've, entire, I've desired to live my life. But there was this one time when I was in junior high school. I was in the seventh grade, my sisters, my twin sisters, identical twins, were in the eighth grade. And in junior high, there was this kid named Jimmy Wolf. And J isn't that a great name for a bully? If, if you're going to have a bully in your school, you want it to be Jimmy Wolf. Well, Jimmy Wolf uh, was a bully. And at uh, this particular time, I saw him literally pushing my sister Joyce. Uh, he was eighth grader, big, strong eighth grader. He was the kind of eighth grader that had a beard. Remember those, those kids? <laughs> I was a seventh grader, timid. Anyway, he was pushing my sister. And without thinking... I went over and I intervened, and uh, we got in a fight, and I got in a couple of licks, but he just whipped me really good. Thank God the teachers got there in time before he actually killed me, you know, to break it up. But I went over there, so I, got, I get home. My dad hears about it, that I've gotten in a fight. He said, son, what happened? I, said, I told him what happened. He was, he was bullying uh, Joyce, and I said, and it's obvious to you I lost the fight. My dad said, no. No, you won the fight. Uh, you were in the right. I don't condone fighting, but I condone what you did. And I was proud of you for that. See, it really mattered to him how girls are treated, how women are treated. I saw that modeled in him. That's how I live my life. That's how I treat my wife. And the thing that's exciting is I see that in my son, and I see that in my five grandsons. The law of echoes. It's not so much what we say as what we do. We need to disciple our children. The next thing is this. A father's heart is connected to his children. King David had a son. He had several sons. But one of his sons was Adonijah. Adonijah. Some people pronounce it Adonijah. I tried to listen to the exact pronunciation, and now I'm confused. Okay, so Adonijah. Well, he demanded to be king. He wanted to be king. And, well, Solomon took care of him later, but the fact is, here's what happened. Uh, King David had this son. The son, Adonijah, gave him great grief. He was ultimately struck down by Solomon. But here's what it says in 1 Kings 1.6. His father, David, had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? 
in the NLT, it says his father never disciplined him, never discipled him, never interfered with Adonijah. So many times we see kids that are never interfered with, that are never discipled or disciplined that turn out like Adonijah. There's always a way to connect to your children. It's not always easy. Our son, uh, Nathan, uh, who is this wonderful man of God and Christ follower now as a 40-something-year-old, had some real struggles when he was in high school and college. And it was hard for me to connect with him. But I could always connect in one area, and that's around sports. So even though it was very awkward sometimes to talk, and, and he was wondering what I was thinking about him, I was wondering what he was doing, all of these things, we could talk about something. We tried to keep that connection. Now it's wonderful because we can connect about things that really matter, right? There's something amazing about connecting with your children. If you've read the book Sticky Faith, uh, faith sticks when it's real and it's alive in you, when it's talked about, when it's seen, when it's known. Your kids need to see that kind of sticky faith in you. Be involved, interfere. Your kids are only young ones. Connect with them, be with them, talk with them, encourage them, bless them. Now, now hear this. You know how desperately you want to be connect to your kids? How much more your heavenly father desires to be connected to you? There's a wonderful little um, booklet that's entitled My Heart, Christ's Home by Robert Munger. And the idea of the booklet is a simple premise that we talk about asking Jesus to come into our heart, to come into our lives. And so this little booklet kind of acts like uh, we're inviting Jesus into our lives, into our heart, and we're showing him around the different rooms in our, in our life, right? And so uh, here's uh, uh, Dwayne is showing Jesus around. And here's, here's the kitchen. And Jesus says, that's a great room. I mean, it's the room where appetites and desires are fulfilled. It's a great room. Love, sometimes we'll cook up something together. And I, I showed Jesus the, the living room. And finally, we get to the study, the den. And Jesus says, oh, oh, I really like this room. I see you have a Bible. You have some other books. I don't know why you have so many mystery novels, but we're not going to talk about that right now. I see all these books and, and music, and it's a wonder. Oh, this is great. Jesus says, I love this room. He said, I've got an idea. Why don't you and I meet just for a few minutes each morning in this room? We'll open the word. We'll listen to some music. We'll have a conversation. It'll just be you and me. It'll be awesome. And of course, man, if Jesus invites me to do that, I'm in, right? I'm in. He's inviting me to be with him. So I say yes, and we have a great time. And we, this goes on for weeks. And then one day I get really busy, and I pass by the room, and I say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm running late. Uh, we'll have to miss today. No problem. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame, nothing like that. Go have a good day at work. I'll be thinking of you. Okay, well, this goes on and this becomes a habit, right? I forget, I forget. Now it's not even a part of my life. And I walk by the study one morning and I notice that there's a light on. I go into the room and there's Jesus sitting on the couch. And I said, oh man, I am so sorry. And I forgot, I've been forgetting all these weeks. I apologize, Jesus, please forgive me. Jesus said, no problem. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. I'm just, Dwayne, here, here's your problem. You think this time with me in this room 
is for you. And I'm sure it is at some level. But I want you to know something. This time in this room is for me. I want you. I want to know you. I want to understand you. I want to tell you how much I love you, how much you are forgiven, how much you matter to me. I want this time for me. Jesus wants to be connected to you. And that will never, ever change. He doesn't want a kiss on the cheek. He doesn't want to walk in the park. He wants to be married to you. He wants you. Well, the next thing is this. A father's heart shares his love for Jesus. No greater joy can a man have than this, than to hear that his children follow the truth. Parents, grandparents, hear this. Teach your children math. I taught my children math. Teach your children football. I taught my son's football. Teach them proper manners. Teach them proper hygiene. Teach them to respect women. Teach the importance of working hard and good study habits and giving your best all the time. Please, teach them all those things. But for everything that is holy and good, nothing is more important than teaching them about Jesus. To live it, to eat it, to drink it, to talk about it, to refer to it, to put your arm around them and pray for them. This personal, intimate, passionate love for Jesus matters more than anything else. So uh, back in 2013, Sherry will love this story. I haven't told this story, I don't think, in a sermon ever. Uh, we had a family reunion. Sherry's dream, her dream is to have another one. Her dream is to have a family reunion every week. But um, <laughs> since we've been, as I've been a pastor, we've always moved around. So our kids have always been away from us since they've been adults. But um, so we had this family reunion, Bella Beach, Oregon, 2013. It was glorious. Seven grandchildren. At that time, young, uh, Ellen was a baby, all the way up to teenagers. Um, now they're age 10 to 23, that gap. But anyway, all the grandkids were there. Uh, both of our kids, their spouses, and Sherry's mom and dad were still in good health in those days. And so, and there was this one particular time we got together, all of us in this room, in this family room, and it's probably Sherry's idea, but we had the idea, let's have everybody share their faith story, how they came to Jesus. Well, for some of the younger kids, you know, they kind of, I don't know, but, you know, mom and dad would help. Oh, this, remember when you prayed to say yes to Jesus? Oh, yeah, I do remember. But every one of the children, the grandchildren, spouses, grandma and grandpa, great-grandma and grandpa, all shared about their love for Jesus. No greater joy can a man have than this than to hear that his children follow the truth. No greater joy. The last thing I just want to share briefly is that a father's heart is full of love and forgiveness. You need to remember this, that love and forgiveness go hand in hand. If you love somebody, you better be prepared to forgive them because they will disappoint you, they will hurt you, they will do something that you feel deeply. But the way Jesus lived his life, love and forgiveness were hand in hand. It was like love and marriage. Love and forgiveness were always together. 
Doug preached on this several months ago for weeks. And so I'm not going to say much about it, but you know the story that we have to talk about. The story of the lost son in Luke chapter 15. It's a story about forgiveness, certainly. But it's also a story about reconciliation, you know, where two broken things come together and somehow, some way, like a bone in your body, miraculously, somehow, some way comes back together and it's stronger than it was before. So, as you know, the younger son uh, demands his inheritance from his father, which basically was saying, I want you dead because I want your money to his dad. The father inexplicably gives it to him. <laughs> he takes it out and the scripture tells us that he lost all of the money in basically wine, women, and song. Lost all of the inheritance. Finds himself with some pigs eating corn cobs and thinking to himself, this is not the way I envisioned this working out. And he said, I wonder if I go back to my father, if he'll, if he'll accept me as a servant. I mean, being a servant in my father's house will be a lot better than being in a pigsty. So the boy goes back. As he's heading back towards home, the scripture says, when he was still a long way away, a far way off, the father saw him. Now, how did that happen? Well, the father was looking, right? And it says that he went running out and he embraced his son and he hugged him and he kissed him. And the, the text literally says that he could not stop kissing his head. He's kissing him and kissing him. And welcome home, son. I love you. I'm so glad you're back. Now, many of us as fathers would go, wait a second, before you come back, what do you got for me? Some kind of a, a magic apology. Uh, I need to hear that you really are repentant. I need to know that you're going to not do this. You know, that's what most of us as fathers would do, but not this father. He embraced him, and as you know, ring on his finger, coat on his shoulders, big party, and it was miraculous. How is, that, how is that even possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. That story is about a lot of things, but that story is about how your heavenly father loves you. How he is waiting for you to take one tiny, teeny, think about, step towards him, and he'll come rushing towards you. Just even think about moving your foot towards Jesus again and he'll rush towards you. That's the way that God loves and forgives us. That's the way we're to love and forgive our children, our grandchildren. How children and grandchildren are to love and forgive their parents and grandparents because many times we are the ones that need to be forgiven. So that leads us to two questions that I'd like to close with. One of the questions is, do you want a father's heart that prays and instructs and connects and models the love of Jesus and forgives? That's one question you need to ask yourself if you're a parent, or if you will be a parent someday. The second question is this. Do you want to experience that kind of love? That kind of overwhelming, irreplaceable that we sang about? That kind of love that is beyond our imagination? That kind of love and forgiveness that doesn't demand you to do anything except move your foot an inch towards Jesus? But while he was still a long way off, Luke 15, 20, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Father, 
that kind of love is unexplainable. It's unbelievable. Lord, not only do I want that kind of love for my children and my grandchildren, but I want to feel that kind of love from you. I want to know it. I want to be embraced by it. I just don't want a, a, a passing engagement with you. I don't want to just think, well, I've got my rubber stamp. I've got my barcode. I've said the prayer. I've, done, I've gone forward. I've done this. I don't want just, I want something much more because I know that's what you want. You want all of us, our hearts, our lives, our minds, our souls, our bodies. You want all of us. Father, may that be true of each and every one of us in this room. I just thank you, Father, for your great love and pray that we would experience that in a beautiful way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.